0: Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to OCC. It's great to see all of you here for worship this morning. Today we're beginning a new series of messages that are, we're calling this series Blindsided. And if you look at this graphic up here, It should sort of remind you of those old science fiction films of the past, the black and white sci-fi films where they're almost comical to watch nowadays, right? They're not scary. They're almost funny to watch. But uh, you know where the victim is washing dishes or they're they're cutting some vegetables or they're reading a book or they're doing laundry, and, and all of us can sort of see there's something creeping towards them? Like some giant fly or some extraterrestrial ant or something that's about to overtake them, and you want to kind of yell through the TV like, "Look out, look out! Just think of how similar that is to real life. There are things in in real life that that sneak up on us that blindside us. we don't see them coming, and they nearly take us out and what we 're going to look at in the series is how helpful it would be, what a lifesaver in fact, if we could spot. Those challenges before they hit. And so in this series, we're going to look at the seven greatest challenges that no one expects, but everyone experiences. So you're, you're going to find that with all of these issues, you're either in it right now, or it's, it's coming your way, or you've been there before. And so when you're tr- truly blindsided, uh, by definition, you weren't prepared for it. You, you weren't braced for impact, you just sort of get rocked by something in life, and then now you're left to figure out, how do I get up from here? Where do I go now? So now what? And so the first challenge that we're going to look at this morning that really blindsides us is, is the area of cynicism. And cynicism is something that really connects with the Easter story. And so what is, what is cynicism? Let's just get on the same page. Originally, this term cynicism came from an ancient Greek philosophy and a group of people known as the cynics. Uh, but it has morphed from what it was to a more modern view of cynicism. And so here's the definition so that we're all on the same page. It's an attitude characterized by a general distrust in the good of humanity. Uh, you, you're not very hopeful for people. You're, you're not really hopeful for life anymore. There's just – you have become more cynical is what it, this, this means. And, and cynicism sort of – it sort of starts gnawing at us. It's sort of – Slowly chewing on us, and we might not even realize that it's having an effect on us. Now, if we needed a poster child for cynicism, I propose we could use the character George Costanza from Seinfeld. If you've seen Seinfeld before, uh, I'm going to bring it back for just a quick two minute montage of some George Costanza moments. He's a pretty cynical character, and so here's, here's a quick summary of, of the way George approaches life and the way that he thinks me. You're giving me the it's not you, it's me routine? (laughs) I invented it's not you, it's me. Nobody tells me it's them, not me. If it's anybody, it's me. You know, we're living in a society we're supposed to act in a civilized way. I'm not treating you to lunch anymore. I'm stuck. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. George is getting upset. Worlds are colliding. George is getting upset. Anything goes. It's fun to go. Serenity now. You're killing independent George. No, 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 no. I was in there for two minutes. He didn't do anything. 75 bucks. Well, it's a first visit. I'm only paying half. You can't do that. Why not... He's a doctor. you got to pay what he says. Oh, no, 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 no. I pay what I say. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. <laughs> my life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's often been wrong. <laughs> tuna toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. <laughs> what can happen from this. You know, chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna, because salmon swim against the current, and the tuna swim with it. Good for the tuna. (laughs) Good for the tuna. You see, no one intends to become cynical. It just... But it happens. Cynicism has a certain feeling about it. There's almost a cycle in life that we get into, and then we end up becoming more cynical. People disappoint us, or life just doesn't go the way we hoped, or we get jaded, we get we get tossed around, we feel like we're just being run through, and we're barely hanging on. Here's a picture of how it can feel after a bit in life. You just, you feel like you've been through the spin cycle in life, and you're just sort of laid out. We get, we keep getting sort of, beaten down by things, we're disappointed, and and what happens is frustration starts to take root in our heart, and we're tempted to throw up our hands just like George Costanza and say, you know what, my life is a big waste of time and energy, so I'm just not going to care anymore, and that's what it looks like. You might not be in a cynical place this morning, but I'm sure you've seen it around you. Uh, Maybe you've had a friend who's experienced hurt and and heartache and heartbreak even one too many times, and so they've, they've given up. Or maybe it was your college friends, your high school buddies or friends who they were launching into life and into their careers and they had passion and enthusiasm and optimism and and now they've totally given up. And and certain professions actually have a higher risk of cynicism. And you're wondering what those are. Well, if you work with people, (laughs) if you work with people. Cops, nurses, teachers, counselors, people in ministry, people that work with other people consistently, you see so much hurt, you see so much pain over time. We're tempted to just sort of like build a wall between us and the world. And those people who used to contribute to group efforts and brainstorming projects and used to rely on to give fresh ideas, cynicism has a way of, of just zapping all of that to where now they only see all the reasons why failure is imminent and so that's, that's cynicism, and that can happen to you. It can happen to me. And if you're here this morning and you're new to our church, you were invited maybe by a friend or maybe you got an invitation, I hope there's something even beyond the invitation that drew you here this morning. If you're not from a church background, maybe, maybe you're curious about what is the buzz of Easter all about. So we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, it could be that you're here and just life is just going really well. Maybe life is humming along for you. And your, your personal life and history is really shaping up. And so uh, it, it could be that you feel like you're on top of the world. Or the other, on the other hand, you could be totally at the end of your rope, so to speak. Maybe you're slipping into despair in some areas, maybe in marriage or in, in certain relationships. And so whatever it is, is going on in your life right now, whatever brought you here this morning, we're really glad that you're here. It, because Easter Sunday is, is we celebrate. An event in history that can totally change the course of your life. The resurrection. If the resurrection of Jesus really happened, then life does not have to slide towards cynicism. That's what we're going to be looking at. If this really occurred, that Jesus was dead but then came back to life, then that can make a real difference. And so we're going to look at some specific verses that really challenge our thinking in regards to seeing the resurrection and being impacted by the resurrection, we can actually shift the road that we're on. If we were just in this cycle that we felt like we're stuck in, then Jesus' resurrection can help us break out of that and put our lives on a path that is leading towards an eternal destination. So, in this message series, what we're going to or message this morning, I want to I want to show how we slide into cynicism and then how Jesus can pull us out of cynicism. And so let's first look at the slide into cynicism. There's this listening guide. It's a white sheet in the program that if you take this out, you can follow along if you'd like. Here's how we slide into cynicism. The first thing is you project the past onto the future. You project the past. It's, it's, you've experienced something in the past, and you, you think this is how life is going to go. Have you heard the phrase, fool me once, shame on you? Fool me twice, shame on me. You heard that phrase before? Here's another way of looking at it. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me 350,000 times, you're a weatherman. (laughs) It's pretty funny. But it seriously captures the cycle of cynicism. It's sort of like, I'm not going to let this keep happening to me. It's sort of a warning to learn from the past hurts and, and disappointments. And there's truly something to be learned from the past. But how far should we really take to take it? King Solomon, he was the third king in the, in the nation of Israel. He wrestled with cynicism. And he wrote a few books in the Bible. One of those books is the book of Ecclesiastes. And when you read through this book in the Old Testament, it's, it's sort of like reading the cynic's guide to the universe. You just walk through... Chapter after chapter, and he's making observations, and he seems like its he's just highlighting the futility of most all of life. The pursuit of money, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of accomplishments, the pursuit of relationships. And he's just like, I tried this, and it was a waste of time. I tried that, and it's a waste of time. I've tried this. People try all these things. And he's just he just keeps saying, it's all futile. And so when you're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes for the first time, you're like, Where is he going with all of this? Until you get to the last chapter, you find he lands in the right place. But your first read through, you're like, what is he trying to get at? So here's an example of that in light of projecting the past onto the future. verse Chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verse 9 and 10. What has been, he writes, will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. That's sort of that idea that history repeats itself. Is there anything of which one can say... Rhetorical question here. Look, this is something new. His answer, you know, rhetorically is no there's, no. there's nothing new. He was saying it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. And then he states this in verse 11. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. He's pretty much expressing this slide into cynicism. And he's saying since there's really nothing new under the sun, then what's the point of it all? He looks over his life. He looks over the past. And he keeps saying, it all just seems really hopeless. And so often before we even know it, the pain of the past becomes the, the future hurt in our life that we grip onto and we assume that we know exactly where the future is, is heading. And our past in that way can really trap us and keep us in a prison. So that's the first thing we can slide, what, where we can slide into cynicism. The second that can cause us to slide is this, is that you know too much. You know too much. Now, some of you are like, yep. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You're in agreement because the longer you live, the more you learn, the more you know, the more you see. And depending on how you respond, this can really make you cynical. What you do with your mind is really important. How you protect where where you allow your thoughts to go through the hardships of life is really important. So look again at King Solomon. He says in verse 18, Chapter 1, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. There is, again, cynicism. Futility. This is why some people say ignorance is what? Yeah. Ignorance is bliss because the more you learn, the more you know, the more you work with people and see patterns in life, it's possible that we begin to try to put some distance between us and them in an attempt to... To guard ourselves from future hurt because we just know too much. And it's possible that we just stop believing the best, which leads us to this next part of the slide in the cynicism, is you give up hope. First, you project the past on the future. Second, you know too much. And then you just give up hope. You stop trusting. You stop believing. You didn't, you didn't plan on it. You didn't, you didn't want to get cynical in life. But honestly, this is where a lot of folks end up through the hurts of the past, through the knowledge of the present, through the access to the media, through disappointments with people, you end up being cynical in life. And if that's where you're at this morning, if you find yourself really cynical, I want you to know you're not the only one in the room who's struggling with cynicism. There's probably many in the room that are there right now. And I bet if you're not there, maybe you're just coming out of it. You know, and this can happen to all of us in our lives, in our, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our work, in our career, and on and on. For me as a, as a pastor, when we were starting this church out, uh, there was moments where I could easily slip into cynicism. In the first few years of our church, we had a real small team of people move here to start this church. And we met at a middle school about about a mile from here or less than a mile from here. And our team of people were just inviting folks meeting people in this community, building relationships, and, and sharing that we're starting this new church. And anytime some new individual or family came to OCC, to this church, we were so excited. And, and sometimes people would, would get really involved and seem like, wow, they're really growing in their faith. And then all of a sudden, they disappear without conversation, without explanation. And, and honestly, I look back, and it's not a surprise because we didn't have a lot to offer in those days. You know, we were, we, were, we were not very diverse in our age or stage of life. We had very little resources, very little to offer in this pretty established community. We were just really trying to share our faith with others and, and help people find Jesus. And some people would, would embrace Christ and they'd connect to Christ and it seemed like they'd begin connecting. But then you turn around and over and over and over people would drift off and find something different to do. And we were sort of left there wondering, like, what just happened? You know, and that can happen in your life. It can happen to where it's like you're building this puzzle and you're finding pieces and they fit together. And you're building the puzzle of life very – and it's coming together. And you're like, wow, it's all coming together. And, and I, I can't believe it's coming together. But then all of a sudden someone bumps the table and the puzzle like, falls apart. You've been working on and you're, you're like, here we go again. And so this thought and this feeling of cynicism, it leads us right up to Easter because the disciples could really identify with the slide in cynicism. In fact, everything was going great at the beginning of the week. Jesus, he rode into Jerusalem, welcomed with a royal reception, like you'd welcome a king into a city. And so in Jerusalem, thousands of people were there to celebrate a festival. And when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, people are flocking to see his entrance they've heard stories about him they're laying down palm branches and you can imagine if you were one of Jesus' disciples one of the followers of Christ you're and you're knowing and people know that you're with Jesus you're probably feeling like you're on top of the world like you're you're one of you're one of a few people that have had an eyewitness kind of perspective and you've journeyed with Jesus you've heard his teachings and, and and then this happens. People are welcoming him as the king. And so you're thinking, my life, if I'm a Christ follower at this point, a disciple, you're thinking, my life's really coming together. Picked a good person to follow. But then everything turns in the week. He was betrayed on Thursday of that week by one of his own. He was arrested. And he was tried as a criminal. So Jesus is appearing before A crowd of Jewish leaders and and people of the town and Roman officials. And even though he had done nothing wrong, uh, he is sentenced to die in the most brutal form, which is crucifixion. And so the Romans crucified him. They were experts at execution. They knew how to uh, kill in a very painful way. And in the bible matthew mark luke and john are the biographies of jesus and you can you can read about the crucifixion in any of those books uh, in the book of john in the new testament chapters 18 and 19 record the details of the crucifixion but after his death his followers who were with him for a few years and then and really probably celebrating at the beginning of the week what happened to them once they saw this happen is they Feared for their life and so they start scattering out of fear that they might be next They spent a few years with him bringing people to him spreading the news about him seeing the miracles watching Just multitudes of people flock to hear jesus They believed he was the savior. They believed that he was god's messiah the one that Had been foretold through all the jewish prophets and that he was the one coming to rescue people but then After the crucifixion and watching what happened, all their hope was lost. And so I want to pick it up from there in John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. So this would have been on the third day in the morning. He's crucified on a Friday and buried, and then Saturday, and then you have Sunday. So this is Sunday morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. You know, the Romans actually, or the Jews, the Jewish leaders were concerned that that the, that the disciples would steal his body. And so the, they went to the Romans, and they asked that the Romans would place an extra uh, guard around. So they had a Roman guard sealing the tomb. And But when Mary shows up, there's no guards, and the tomb is open. The stone has been rolled away, and when she goes inside, Jesus' body is not in there. And Luke's biography, one of the uh, one of the authors of one of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, the book of Luke, says that the burial linens were lying on the ground in the tomb, but his body wasn't there. So it says that Mary, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And that's just identifying a man named John who is known as the beloved disciple. The word uh, loved in this, there's different four different forms of of. Uh, you could use it for the word love. And this form is phileo. And what it means is a loyal, like a brotherly love. That's why that city Philadelphia, you hear phileo in it. The city of brotherly love. And so John and Peter were some of the closest disciples of, of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he sees his mother weeping, he tells John, he asks John to take care of his mother after his, you know, after all of these events. And so... Mary goes and runs and finds Peter and John, and she said this to them. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they they put him. So Mary thinks it's, it's the Jewish leaders or maybe the Romans. No one could find his body, and so their hope only sunk further at this point. First the crucifixion, and now this. Little do they know, Jesus actually has risen from the dead. He's alive. And so then the appearances start happening, first to the women, then Jesus appeared alive to the disciples, then to people walking on, on roads, then to people assembled together in large crowds. Jesus is appearing to all these people and he's showing himself alive. But not everyone believed. In fact, there was a man named Thomas. Uh, if you've heard the phrase, you're a doubting Thomas, it comes from this character in the Bible. Thomas was one who had nearly lost all hope. He would have been, he was a cynical person. He had a lot of doubts. It shows up throughout the Bible where you see his story. You see sort of his struggle with belief and hope. And so even though the disciples said, we've seen Jesus alive, he's having a hard time believing it. Here's, here's his encounter. It says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, he wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands... And put my finger where the nails were. I want to see the holes. I want to to see that he's really alive. And put my hand into his side. Unless I see that, I won't believe it. And then it says in verse 26, A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said specifically to Thomas, Hey Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, and this is major turning point for Thomas right here. He goes from saying no, no, no to and you could hear George Costanza in that. My Lord, my God. I I follow you. I believe you're God. You conquered death. You're the Lord. And so Thomas His life, along with all of those disciples, their lives were radically changed. In fact, the disciples' lives, if you have questions about the resurrection, you'll want to study this issue of what happened to the disciples. The disciples' lives are the evidence, or some of the evidence, compelling evidence, of the resurrection. Because they were blindsided by the crucifixion. Even though Jesus told them, I'm going to die and I have power over death, they still didn't see it coming. And so you might be here this morning, and you might have doubts and hang-ups just like Thomas. And I want to spend the rest of our time focused on what do we need to do if we've been blindsided by this thing called cynicism. First thing is this. I want to invite you to kick cynicism out as you trust in the risen Jesus to forgive all your sin. This is the first step, is invite Christ into your life. Trust Jesus with your life. Ask him to forgive you from all your sin. Sin has a way of just zapping, which we all sin. We all go our own way in life. But what it does is it keeps us trapped in guilt and shame, in a prison of hopelessness. And we have no remedy in our own power to fix the problem. And so God came to earth as the solution in the person of Jesus. George Costanza, you know, that that line, he's saying, no, 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 no. In In some sense, I think it... We step into that very easily like no, no, no God. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to go this way in my life I've got this What if today you were to stop going your own way in life and began going god's way today and said yes to christ And turned your life over to him. What if today you trusted jesus to forgive your sin To deal once and for all with your sin problem I'm, not saying you'll never sin again But to experience freedom from the guilt and shame and to have forgiveness that he is he's made away. You see, Jesus on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, he'd never done anything wrong. He took in his own flesh the full wrath of God for the sin of the whole world. It was was poured out on him on the cross. He absorbed the the full wrath of God for the sin of the whole world. He did that. And he satisfied God's. Righteous demand that was required for sin Bloodshed was required for sin, but the perfect Lamb of God took away the sin of of the world He's the only one qualified because he was God To provide forgiveness for us lasting hope and freedom and maybe today you really identify with Thomas's story and, And you're ready to believe in Jesus and maybe yield your life to him as your lord and you'd say, "You know what I'm ready to say that like my lord my god i I believe in you Easter is an opportunity to declare your belief in Jesus that he was he died for you that he was buried, and that he rose again and in the Bible, this issue of the resurrection is the central focus of God's grand story when you start reading the Bible for yourself, you realize this is one grand story there's there's A thread that that is woven through it of god redeeming and and everything is pointing towards this event in history the resurrection and everything after looks back at the impact and the way that that made life open up for us and redemption is found only through jesus who is god in the flesh who came to save us from our sin this is the this is the best news and in fact for every christ follower everything hinges on the resurrection Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Paul writes this. One leader in the church writes to a church in Corinth. He says, "And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. A small church had sprung up in the ancient city of Corinth, which is modern-day Greece. And there were some people in the church who were so heavily influenced by the Greek philosophy, the philosophies that were floating around in that region, that... There was a belief that had sort of seeped into the church that after you die, there may be reincarnation, but that there's, that there's no physical resurrection. And so the idea of, of life after death was people were wrestling with this issue in the church in Corinth. But, but Paul, he saw this and he was concerned. And, and in his letter, he's very clear in chapter 15 because the central belief of the Christian faith is, Is the resurrection of Jesus. This is the foundational. uh, Bedrock. Of all of Christianity. So Paul in his letter. He's trying to show them that. You can't follow Jesus. And not believe in the resurrection. You can't reject the resurrection and say. I'm I'm following Christ. Well because without the resurrection. All of our hope is lost. Well why is that? Well he uses this phrase here. If Christ has not been raised. Then your faith is futile. Sounds a lot like. King Solomon, Ecclesiastes, the word futile shows up here. It just means vain, it's empty, it's it's useless. Faith that's not rooted in the resurrection of Jesus is empty, Paul's saying. Why would you say such a strong statement? The next phrase tells you why. It's because without it, you're still in your sin. In other words, you're still guilty. You're still without hope. You're still Ashamed, you're still unforgiven and separated from God. But when Jesus rose from the dead, He conquered death. And without the resurrection, the penalty of of death would have condemned condemned Him forever, and all hope would have been lost. Which is why the disciples and the early Christ followers were so devastated when they saw Him hanging on the cross, because it seemed like death and sin had totally won. But what happened is, on the third day, Jesus arose and He conquered sin. Death, the grave, and he unlocked a way for us to know eternity with him. And so you can you can have a way to escape cynicism as you respond to Christ. First as you trust him, and then second as you hope beyond this life that there's something more. Hope beyond this life. This passage keeps going in first Corinthians, and I want to show you the direction it goes in. It's talking about the future life and so paul keeps writing after he writes without the resurrection your faith is futile you'd still be dead in your sins then he, he goes and he says if only for this life on earth we we hope in christ if it's only about here and now then we are to be pitied more than all men he's saying what a waste of time to be following someone uh, who died and if not for the resurrection and if, if if not even that, if not just for a hope in something beyond this life, it's sort of a waste of time. Paul's getting at, we should be pitied. But then in verse 20 he writes, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What he's saying is, Jesus was the first in a long legacy of those who would later rise. Jesus is the first of a great harvest of people who would be raised from the dead. That That's... Paul's describing, for those who are in Christ, that's, that's you. This life is not the end. At the end of this life, you can have hope in life for a life eternal. This, this section of Scripture is all about hope. Paul's saying that without the resurrection, we have no future hope. And he uses this powerful phrase. Again, if hope is only in this life, then we are to be pitied. If you can move, move it forward one slide. We are to be pitied more than all men. The word pitied there, it means miserable. If we're only hoping in Jesus for life on earth, and there's nothing more than he is not, he doesn't have the power beyond other leaders and teachers who said, I have an answer for you. But he actually is the eternal God. And so, without that, Paul's saying you should be to believe in something that you give your life to that, why would you do that? That seems like a miserable way of doing life. And Paul's right. Without believing in someone who has eternity, who holds eternity in their hands, what hope really is there? Without Christ's resurrection, there's no hope for life after death. However, since Paul is stating so clearly that the resurrection happened, the resurrection itself provides the hope for eternal life. Because this life on earth is not all that there is. You, me, we are eternal beings. We're going to spend eternity somewhere, forever. And no matter the things we face in this life, when our life wraps up, if you personally know Christ and trust Christ personally, you follow him, then you can enter eternity with him. You'll be with him forever. All will be made right in heaven. No more pain, no more disappointment, no more letdown, no more cynicism. Cynicism just drives the feeling that life can't get any better. Nothing will ever change. But Christ's resurrection, it proves that that's just not true. And you might be here today and you might be searching for something more. Like, what if there really is something to this Jesus thing? I encourage you to continue asking questions. Cynicism wants to rob you of of that. To get you to stop asking questions, to stop being open a really important question is if Jesus really did die or rise from the grave and I believe in him, what difference could that make in my life? Wrestle with that. On, that. on that blue connection card that you received, on the back side, I want to just highlight. If you want more information about following Jesus and you're, you're here and you're exploring, you'd like to talk about that or you'd just like to learn more about that. And you just want some information. If you check this box, it's on the back side. It's at the bottom right. You see it on the screen there. I'd like more info on following Jesus. If you check that, we'll, we'll follow up with you. We'd love to, to sit down with you. If you'd like to talk with any of our staff, we'd love to do that. And again, just to allow you to process what would this look like for yourself to follow Christ. Maybe for you that's a great first step is just to say, I, I'm interested in learning more. One last way to really kick cynicism out is this, is to, is to cultivate curiosity in the here and now. I'd encourage you, schedule, just break out of, of cynicism. See, Thomas, he was so closed off. Cynics, we, if we get cynical, we could become very closed off. And so if, to break out of that is to start scheduling time to think. Like, go on a walk, go on a bike ride. Go on a run and just spend some time thinking. Break out of the norm. Right when George was about to do that, Jerry goes and like pops his, his, his balloon there in the, in the, in the clip. But, or ask more open-ended questions. Get curious about a new, how, how does a new part of life work or, or how, how does my spiritual life work? Ask open-ended questions. Be more open to God showing you new things about your life. Or, or give fewer answers. We all have a lot to say in life. Maybe instead, dig into God's word and let God's word speak into your life in a fresh way. And as you get with people, instead of just sharing answers, maybe listen more, pray more for for people. Ask God, you know, ask, and even just when you're visiting with people, you could say, you know, what that's a great question. Let's ask God for His help and just pray with them. In these different ways, you're sort of you're sort of dreaming more in life you're imagining more possibilities because cynicism has the opposite effect it just has the way of trapping us from ever seeing the possibilities of life and so what we want to do is encourage you to cultivate curiosity in the here and now everything we're going to be addressing in this series can blindside us unexpectedly much like those old science fiction films where those characters didn't see it coming you know they they were this is from the War of the Worlds, 1953, H.G. Wells. With whatever is coming in life, God's desire is to help you prepare for the unexpected. And so here's where we're heading in this series. Next week, we're going to look at the, the topic of disconnection. We are living in the most globally connected age, and yet people today are feeling so lonely and isolated, and, and people are struggling relationally. And we God has a lot to say about that. And so I invite you to come back next week. And then we're going to look at pride, emptiness, burnout, irrelevance, and compromise. Over the next six weeks, these are the topics we're going to hit. All of these things sneak up on us unexpectedly. And we need to know how to prepare ahead of time for them. As we wrap up, I want to invite our worship team back to the stage. And I want to invite you to consider taking a next step this morning. On the back of this connection card right here again, You'll see on the back of this blue card a, a special place on here that says next step. It's near the bottom. And if if you're here today and for the first time you would say, I want to take this first step of committing my life to Jesus Christ as the Savior of my life and the Lord of my life. What this means is you're basically saying, I'm not sure that I'm really connected to God yet. I'm not sure that I've ever really had a heart to heart with God on on eternal things. I'm not, I, I've just been sort of doing life my own way, running my own playbook in life, and I've never really yielded my life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, and God is speaking to you, and you sense, I'm ready to start fresh today, I'm going to stop going my own way, I'm ready to turn around and start going God's way in life. I believe that Jesus, He is God, He came to earth, He died for my sin, He was buried, but He rose. I believe that. I admit I've been going my own way in life, and I'm ready today to turn around and start going His way. I want Jesus to lead my life, to be the Lord, the boss, the leader. It's like I'm I'm in charge of driving my car, and all of a sudden I I yield the wheel to Him to begin to direct my life in a new way. If that's you this morning, and you're ready to receive Christ, uh, check that box on the back of the connection card at the bottom. It's next step, and then we'll follow up with you, and we would love to to share with you more about your new life in christ if you'd like to just talk with someone this morning our staff is as you're leaving in the breezeway there's a uh, welcome table there and we have that uh, gift mug that special guest gift mug but our staff will be there and so we'd love to visit with you if you have any questions if you need someone to pray with you we'd love to do that this morning the second thing is i'll come back next week and invite and fill in the blank there maybe for you you're just you are feeling disconnected and isolated. And if that's where you're at, or maybe you know someone who's right there and they're on the edge and slipping into loneliness and depression and isolation, then I'd invite you to bring them with you next week. And then finally, what is that one thing that God seems to be nudging you to respond to him in this morning? Is there something about cynicism maybe you've identified this morning that you need to spend some more time on? I'd encourage you to jot that down and spend some time reflecting. So let's pray as we... Continue, Father, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and the Easter story and the hope that we find in you. And in we thank you that since Christ raised from the dead, life is full of meaning. Thank you for shattering our cynicism. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would respond to you however you've placed before us in our mind tonight or today i thank you for each family here all the kids that are in the gym and kids zone i pray you continue to do a work of creating something new god that's life-giving and hope-filled here and now we pray in jesus name amen thanks so much for joining us today we pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to god's word Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.